0: Hey, we're so glad you could join us on our podcast today. We hope this message equips and inspires you. And if you're ever in the Liverpool area, we would love to have you join us at one of our services. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. For now, though, enjoy this podcast. Well, we're actually kicking off um, the second part of our current series right now. And we're in a series that's called This Is Why. But before we jump into it, just let me share a brief story with you. I don't know how many of you are skiers. I would love to make out that I am like a pro skier, and technically, now I've been once, I kind of fall in that category, right? But, but when we went skiing, this one particular day, we ended up going on the mountains, and um, just because of a random sequence of events, There was my wife who, at the time, thought that she damaged her ACL ligament in her knee, so she was out the game for that day. My pal that we were skiing with, he'd, like, damaged his shoulder, so he was out the game. But I still wanted to ski for that day, so we ended up going on the mountain, and there was actually only me as the one and only responsible adult that was looking after a bunch of kids. Like, there was four of them, aged between, like, 8 and 12. Now, here's the thing. If you've been skiing, you might be familiar with this kind of setup, but if you haven't, let me try and describe it for you. So when you go in skiing, you grab the the ski lift and you go up the mountain, but typically at the bottom of many of the runs, there's typically what's referred to as like the bunny hill. And the bunny hill is often where the, the real small kids kind of start to learn to ski. And also, it's where you can go if maybe you're trying out a snowboard for the first time, and historically, you've only ever used skis. You could go and do a couple of jumps and a couple of slopes just to try and, you know, find your feet on the snow. So we arrived, and I was there with the four boys, um, two of ours and two friends, in fact, five boys. And um, we were all on this bunny hill, and we were kind of like just playing around. But I've got to be honest, I was thinking like, man, I don't really, I don't want to be on the bunny hill. I want to go attack the mountain. And, and it was like the mountain was calling me, like, Luke, ride the lift, Luke. And I'm looking at the kids, and they're all doing the bunny hop thing and, like, up and down the small slopes. So, so, so I pulled the oldest one out of all the kids, and I said, hey, look, guys, this is what's going to happen, Right. I'm going to be back real soon, but I need you to just stay here. Don't move from this bunny slope at all. I'll be back in a few moments. And um, when we're back, we'll go and have some fun. But in my head, I'm just thinking like, I just need to go and attack the mountain. The mountain is calling me. I can hear it. It's possibly the Lord, so I better answer the call. (laughs) So I left the kids on the bunny hill and went off and had an Awesome time. I mean, like riding the lifts, going up, doing a couple, it was incredible. And I came down to the bottom of the hill after, I don't know, maybe like half an hour, 20 minutes, something like that. I don't even know how long it'd gone. And um, I go straight over to the bunny hill and I ski my way over there. And I can see that like none of the kids are there. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's kind of weird because I specifically told them and gave them an instruction as their father that they were to wait at the bunny hill. So then I thought, well, obviously. If they're not at the bunny hill, then they must clearly have just nipped to the bathroom or or, or gone to get a drink or something. So I then ski over to the other side of the the, the resort and I'm looking at all the bars and not that I thought they were drinking, I just thought they might have gone for a drink, uh, you know, a Coke and uh, they weren't in there and nobody was in the toilets. And I'm like thinking, Matt, now, like where on earth are all the kids? And and I've got to be honest with you, I started to panic a little bit because I'm just thinking like this would be really bad if, if I lost them all in one go and that would just be awkward for me. And then literally at that point, it's like my wife appeared and she like, you know, she asked the question that every mom would ask. She's like, hey, where are the boys? And I'm like, I don't know. It's the strangest thing. It's the craziest thing. It's like they they were all over on the bunny slope and now they're just not. And she's like, well, what do you mean now they're just not? And I'm like, well, honestly, I don't know where they've gone. And she's like saying to me, well, you've been with them because you weren't to leave them because they're small and they're on the bunny slope. And I'm like, it's the strangest thing. It's the craziest thing. I just don't know how that happens. And she's like, Luke, where are the kids? And then she started to remind me, you do know that they're not all ours. You know, as if to say like, if we lost one of ours, it would be okay. But if it was one of our friends, that would be like really bad. You know, I'm trying to work that out. And I'm like, look, here's the bottom line, hon, right? I've lost all the kids, and she's like looking at me. She's like, "What do you mean you've lost all the kids? I've I've lost them all," and now like we're stood at the bottom of this mountain, and I was trying to think of things to say. And as a dad, right, bearing in mind, we actually have three children. Not everyone was skiing that day, but we have three children. So I'm going to be honest and say, like, I am totally used to these kind of conversations. Like, normally, though, what happens is out of the three, we lose one. So my knee-jerk reaction can often be, well, hey, the good news is we've still got two kids. Like, if we lose one-third of them, great news, we still have two. But in light of the fact that, like, not all of them were ours, I felt like it would be wrong of me to even play that card. So I'm just, like, trying to... Look like I know what's happening here. And we stood at the bottom of this mountain and we're like, do you think that they've like gone to ride the mountains on their own? And I'm like, no, that would be completely irresponsible. That would be totally inappropriate. There's no way that they would be riding the mountains. And like we just wait and we go looking and we go searching and we go hunting. And we end up back at the base of this blue mountain run. There, in the distance. I see these four boys skiing down this mountain, and Emma just turns to me, and she's like, she gives me this look that if you're a husband, you know about the look, right? You don't actually have to use words, but if they do choose to use words, it kind of like goes to a whole nother level, because the look means enough, and she's looking at me, and it's kind of like this this, this scowl, as if to say like, you are dead, and then she just looks at me, and she says this one word, she just goes, irresponsible irresponsible. And the truth is, that is probably my story as a parent so far. I am completely, totally, and utterly irresponsible. But the good news is, is they were all safe. Now, here's the thing. Do you know that when you look at Scripture, there are actually times, and we're going to go and look at one today, where actually God calls you to live if you're a follower of Christ, like if you're a Christian. And I mean, and if you're intentional about pursuing a real and authentic relationship with him, do you know that there are actually times that God calls you and asks you at times to live an irresponsible life? And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But before we do, let me try and bring everybody up to speed because here's going to be the the most awkward moment of the meeting right now. Because this is the difficult part of the talk because I now have to break the news to you that maybe if you're in church for the first time or maybe you were missing last week and haven't yet been able to catch up online, you've gotta know something. And we're gonna try and be really honest and upfront and explain everything that's going on in the life of the church. But, But this series that we're in right now that's called This Is Why is actually a giving series that we're kicking off our September season with. Now, I know right now, some of you already have just nudged your wife and looked at her as if to say like, I knew it, Here we, we're in church again. They're asking for the money, hun. I knew today was not the day we should have come to church. But here's the thing, right? Honestly, we totally get it. And I just want you to know up front. and I said the same thing last week. I'm gonna be saying the same thing next week. First off, right? Just calm right down. Take a big, deep breath. I promise you, you have to do Nothing. You don't have to do a thing. There is no hard sell on this. So please don't kind of like feel as though you need to reach for the door because I promise you, you don't have to do anything. But for those of you who call this church your home, you're going to have found one of these, this is why, giving cards on your chair. And this just basically details how and what we're going to be doing as we move towards the end of September. Because on the last Sunday in September, we as a church family are going to believe that God is going to do the miraculous amongst us as we take up a miracle offering on the last Sunday of September at both the 11 and the 6, or we're going to give you the opportunity to fill this card in on that date and bring it back and make a pledge that will be due to come in by the end of October. But we're not asking anybody to do this flippantly or lightly, we're saying, hey, guys, if this is your like church home, will you take this card home? And will you just pray and be open with God? Maybe if you're married, do it with your spouse or as a family. But will you pray and ask God this question? You say, God, what do you want me to do? And then I believe that as God speaks to your heart, we're going to see God move in a way that maybe we have not seen him do so before. So that is where we are at. Let's, let's bring everybody up to speed. We're all on the same page now. You don't have to be mad at me because you don't have to do anything. Please don't feel the pressure because it's really not about that at all. But because we're in church, we're going to go to the Bible. So let's go to Corinthians 8. We're going to look at the same passage of Scripture that we touched on last week, except we're going to read it from a slightly different translation. Let's jump in from verse 1. It says this, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So, Paul here is writing to a church in Corinth, and he's talking about a particular area of life that this Macedonian church was excelling in. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, we know that their life is the same as ours. They go through stuff in the same way that we go through stuff. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, note verse 3, because we're going to spend some time in here today. It says this, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, he was the church leader at the time, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Okay, so Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth who probably could be best described as a really wealthy church. I mean, they're an affluent church in Corinth. They've got heaps of stuff going on for them that is great. And yet we find that he uses this example of a church in Macedonia that actually you could describe as being a poor church. You could describe as being a church that had great and massive overflowing need within it. In fact, the church in Macedonia was exactly the type of church that could have really done with being helped by other big affluent growing churches. And yet it was the example set by the Macedonian church that Paul uses when he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, hey, Corinth, guys, you need to be like them. Even though they don't have anywhere near as much as you, even though they've got incredibly difficult, challenging circumstances going on in their life right now, which is something that we can all relate to, even though that they are a poor church, they are like overflowing with joy and rich generosity. He's like saying, these guys are incredible. And as we touched on last week, Paul's kind of saying, hey, Corinth, and I think he would say the same thing to us if he was stood on this platform to this group of amazing people at Liverpool One Church right now, he'd be saying, hey, guys, look, it's incredible The way you worship together, it's so amazing that you get to sign up to life groups again today if you've not joined a group already. It's incredible that you're doing relationship with one another, that you're in community with one another. It's so awesome that you're serving on teams and just making the church happen and that you love each other and care for each other like family. That is incredible. But whatever you do, guys, don't forget that you also need to be like the church in Macedonia, and learn the art of excelling in this grace of giving. But it's the way in which Paul describes the church in Macedonia and their giving that I want to look closely at today. Because Paul basically tells us that these guys did not tip God. In fact, when they gave financially, they gave in an incredible way. In fact, this is what he says in verse three. He says this, for I testify that they, meaning the church in Macedonia, that they gave as much as they were able. Now, let's just stop and think about that for a moment. He's talking about a church who were giving financially to a great area of need. Now, I think that for those of us that are In church right now, that maybe have already made a decision to become a Christian and follow Christ, there's something about that that we can feel like, yeah, of course. I mean, it just sounds like a right thing to do. When we read that Paul is giving testimony to the fact that they gave as much as they were able, it just kind of makes us go, I can see how God's in that. I mean, that sounds like a Christian thing to do, right? I mean, to live a generous life, to to live a giving life. That sounds like, sure, something that God would be involved in. It sounds like something that is good. It's a righteous thing. It's a noble thing. In fact, if we're really honest, I think there's something about that statement that Paul says when he talks about how they gave as much as they were able, that it sounds kind of holy. It sounds like when I hear that there is this poor church that are going through so much that don't have an abundance, yet they gave as much as they could. It just sounds like a holy, honorable, right thing for them to do. But the very next thing that Paul goes on to say, well, that doesn't sound holy at all, if I'm really honest. For me personally, as I've just spent time reading this and studying this, the next part of what he goes on to say, I find it offensive to my own intellect. I find it offensive to the way in which I think and I see the world around me. Because he goes on to say, you know, after he said, you know, they gave as much as they were able, that sounds like a holy thing, sounds like a right thing, sounds like a good thing. He goes on to say this, he says, but they also gave, and even beyond their ability, So not only did they give as much as they could, but they gave even beyond their ability. He's saying, these guys didn't tip God. These guys sacrificed a lot in order to be generous. He was saying, these guys, they gave way more than they even thought was possible. And when I hear that, I find it offensive because it just sounds reckless. It just sounds like, well, that, that's a bit dumb, right? It just sounds like, well, what do you mean they gave more than they were able? That just sounds crazy. It sounds irresponsible. It just doesn't sound to me like that that is a smart thing to do. So now I've got this challenge that I'm wrestling with, right? And maybe you are too, because on one hand, it sounds so holy and so godly and so righteous And yet the very next sentence just sounds so completely irresponsible. sounds reckless. But could it be that when we choose to live life in a wholly irresponsible way, that they are the moments in our lives that God gets involved in a way that he never could unless we first lived in a sense of wholly irresponsibility? It's almost like he was saying when he goes on to verse 8, he says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled for you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Could it be that that's what it actually looks like to excel in the grace of giving? when that which is both holy and also irresponsible collides. Is that what it is to excel in the grace of giving? It's interesting, though, that the Apostle Paul does not say we should excel in giving. He calls it a grace. You know, typically when we're using that word grace, sometimes we can reference it as meaning, you know, like undeserved favor. But do you know that it's also equally applicable when we're referencing God's power and God's enabling of you to do something that is completely not normal, that you would never otherwise be able to do unless God got involved. So when Paul was saying that you should excel in the grace of giving, what he's actually saying is this, this church in Macedonia, do you know that the reason why that they were actually able to excel in the grace of giving, it was because God's power and his Holy Spirit at work in the lives of the believers did something that made this thing possible. Without it being a grace, that would never have happened. He was saying, look, you can try and give all you like, but the moment that you turn your life over to God, it's at that point that you can excel in God's power way of giving. It's at that point that we get to excel in the grace of giving because it's the great enabler. When you bring that which is holy and irresponsible and present it to God, it's like God gets all involved in it. It's like it's magnetic to God. But I get it. Right now, some of you are probably thinking, "Well, of course you're going to say that, right? Because you're in a giving series, and uh, you know what's this about anyway? You know, is this about more salary? Is this about plush offices? And no, no. I, I promise you, it. It is not about that or any of that at all. It is not about that. But do you know, in Scripture, it's not just in the area of our finances that we are called as followers of Christ to live life in a wholly irresponsible way. (laughs) When I read the New Testament, you can see this just kind of jumping out at you all the time because think of Matthew 5. Think about what Jesus says. I mean, he's like gathering a bunch of people that have all determined in their heart that they wanna follow him. So he's now trying to teach them and talk to them about some things that they really need to know and almost like become impregnated with in the depths of their soul, That if they're gonna follow him, then they need to live life out this way. Well, he talks about a ton of stuff that I think is wholly irresponsible. Check this out, Matthew 5, he says this, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, then turn the other cheek to them also. I mean, doesn't that just sound on one hand just so holy? I mean, wow. I mean, God, that's so sacrificial and, and submissive. The fact that if somebody punches you, I mean, and you're going to turn the other cheek. It just sounds like, wow, that's like just incredible. I mean, wow, that just sounds holy. It sounds so humble. It sounds so integral that you would let someone strike you and then turn your other cheek. It just sounds holy. And then, you know, if I'm really honest, this is probably the part of the Bible that I hate the most because I'm like, dude, are you for real? You want someone to give me a dig and then offer them the other side of my cheek? Because right now, I would be furious. I would be one of trying to knock them out because that sounds irresponsible. I mean, we're to turn our other cheek. I mean, you could get hurt. Something dangerous could happen. That doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah, it sounds holy, but it also sounds completely irresponsible. Well, what about where he goes on to say this? And by the way, if anybody wants to sue you and take your coat, sorry, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, then present to them your coat also. It's like, what? Are you for real? I mean, it's brand new Canada goose. I'm not gonna get, let this thing go. I mean, it's like, on one hand, it sounds so holy, but then on the other hand, it just sounds completely irresponsible. Are you, are you for real? Like, I'm to give to another person that which they don't even deserve? That just sounds reckless to me. And yet this is the very way that Jesus calls us to follow him. But it's not the only place he goes on and he says this, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Isn't there just something about that that sounds so holy? That you're going to allow those that despise you and hate you, you're going to actually pray for them, even though they give you a hard time and they make your world difficult. I mean, there's something about that that just makes us go, yeah, I could see that God would be involved in that. That sounds exactly like the type of thing that Jesus would do. That sounds exactly like the Christian way. It sounds holy, right? But at the same time, it just sounds reckless and irresponsible. We should be praying and loving on people that hate us. Maybe even at times we want to do you harm and do you bad. We're expected to pray for them and walk in love. It just sounds wholly irresponsible. You know, in this give series, that is what we are asking you to do. If you call Liverpool One Church your home, that this would be an outworking of our fellowship of Jesus Christ, and we together would be wholly irresponsible. Let's talk some nuts and bolts for a moment, though. We said last week that we would talk very briefly about some of the things that we're wanting to do, some of the things that we aspire to become, some of the things that we're dreaming and incubating in our hearts. Well, it's really clear, because this is what your money is going to go directly to if you give and join with us in this This Is Why giving series. Firstly, we are going to invest in our children, youth, and young people. But here's why. Right now, they are in need of some changes with regards to their infrastructure, technology, and resource. When we moved into this building that was just over a year or so ago now, we moved out of this theater. And we were kind of just trying to do our best with the cards that we had at that time, right? But when we moved into this building, the absolute truth is this. We did not expect to be doing as much as we are currently doing right now. Do you know that if you have a child that is aged between 11 and 18, and they're not already coming down for Friday night youth, you need to get them here. This place looks completely different. It is just ram-packed with teenagers. And do you know what? Isn't it funny how, like, you only have to read the papers, and there's so much negative going on about our teenagers today, But you know what? I don't think they're anywhere near as bad as we're told. In fact, if you were to come here on a Friday night, what you would see is we've got an incredible bunch of teenagers, leaders, and staff that are building these young people up to be nation changers when they are older. But we weren't doing that when we moved into this space. So now we have a tension to manage whereby we're running way more stuff, but we've not yet given them the tools to do the job that they earnestly need to be doing. So we want to heavily invest in our children, our young people, and our teenagers as well. Let me say this. Do you know, statistically, if you're going to leave a church, it's most likely to happen between the ages of 16 and 18. I grew up in church. It was a church that was nothing like this at all. But I had two brothers. There were three of us, and we all grew up going to church. But at that time, and without me trying to apportion any crazy amounts of blame anywhere, what I can say, just just humbly but honestly, was that as a church, we didn't have anything at all to offer young people, like nothing. And right now, the story of my family's life is this. On a whole, neither of my brothers go to church, yet they both did up to the ages of 16 to 18. They got to that window of their life, and then they just completely checked out. They were like, it's not for me. It's not for us. We want to build an environment at Liverpool One Church that when you see the welcome home sign when you walk in, that that would not mean welcome home if you are a family only or in a particular social class only. We want every person, to feel like they can call this place home, including our teenagers that many in society want to write off, including our children, including our young adults that are going to be the nation changers of tomorrow. We feel like this is our remit. We want to make an environment that is so good for them, for their friends also, that when they hit 16, 17, 18, that this is the best place that they can come to. They don't wanna think about leaving and walking away from God and abandoning their faith because they have friends here. They have fellowship here. They have guidance here. They have a relationship with Christ that is growing and flourishing. And we want to facilitate that. So we are gonna invest in our children, our youth, and our young people. But the second thing we're gonna do is this. We're going to prepare and get ready for our future. You know, we might not necessarily know exactly right now all that God is going to do in us in our future. But I know and have learned the lesson that if we want to see God moving big in our future, we have to pay for it with our faith seed in our present. It's how God works. We don't know exactly, but I am confident that there is going to be opportunities for us as a church to acquire land that is immediately adjacent to us or build up on the space. Because let me tell you, you come on a Friday night, we are rammed out. Hey, who knows how long it'll be before we add more services? Come to the 6th tonight, you'll see how big, how crazy it is. We know That these are great problems to have, but we've got to pay for our future with our faith seed now. So we don't know what land is gonna become available, but we know that it will. We don't know what next our premises is gonna be, but we know that God will make a way for us to move into the right place at the right time. We know that God will just create doorways of opportunity for, for us if we start considering where our faith life is today. You know, we've been in this building now for just over a year and Some of you will have been on that journey with us, but let me tell you, do you know what? It didn't start a year ago. Probably prior to that year when we bought this building, we took up a miracle offering in the life of the church that was specifically to pay for and buy this building, and that was awesome, and that was incredible to see what God did through you and in you. But I want to tell you about a story that happened probably now about five years ago. You see, about five years ago, there were so few people in the church at that time, and we were meeting in just random spaces. We booked this place in, a, in the Crown Plaza Hotel next to the liver buildings on the riverfront. And it was so average, there isn't even one photograph of us in that building. In fact, I texted all of our team uh, this week and was like, anyone got any photographs like on the phone of us doing church in that building? Every single person came back to me and was like, no, dude, what do we want to photograph that place for? It sucked, right? But here's the thing I haven't even got images that I can show you, so you're just going to have to take my word for it. I mean, we've got more people on, on teams serving in church today than we had in the entire church when we were meeting in the Crown Plaza. But when we were meeting in the Crown Plaza, we decided and felt that, that we just felt impressed upon us that God was challenging us to take up a financial offering because we were going to start to get ready for all that God had in our future. And there were so few people in the room, honestly, I just thought, like, this is a crazy thing to do. No one's going to give. Who would give to this? This is just absolutely absurd. So we started to speak to the church, and there were so few people in there. On the day that we took the offering, the guys on our board, they'd obviously arranged for everything to be counted up. And then they told me the amount of money that we had raised as a church family. And I listed down not the names, but every single giving unit in the back of this journal. I write down everything that God does that is miraculous and powerful and something that only he can do in my journal. In this journal, it amounts to almost 60,000 pounds worth of giving that came in five years ago. That we then did something that people would say, oh, you shouldn't do that. But no, no, this is what we did because we felt it was a right move for us in terms of what God was asking for us. We put that in a savings account because we knew that God was gonna open a doorway of opportunity for us. We knew, we didn't know exactly when, we didn't know exactly how, but we knew because our faith is in God and we're called to be faith people that pay for our future with our seed of faith today. So we knew. And then here's the crazy thing. When we came to buy this building now two years ago, moved in a year ago, do you know the mad thing We sat down with our financier, a great bank that deals with churches and charities like us, and you know one of the reasons why they said they were going to back us was because we'd already made a way and had £60,000 in savings that was going to be our first staged down payment for this very building. Now, we didn't know when we were taking that offering that God was going to use it for that, but without there may be 18 or 19 people that gave back then without that happening, we would never be here today. So firstly, let me say thank you if you were one of the 18 or 19 people that made up that list and gave on that day because you were paying for this way back then. And I think, honestly, we're gonna do exactly the same again, Liverpool One Church. But here's the bottom line for us as a church. For as much as we do want to invest in our youth and we want to invest in our future, if you cut us open, we're about like one thing, changing lives for Christ, one life at a time. That's what we're really about. And we know this, that there is a link between your financial giving and your financial support and our ability to see lives changed for Christ, one life at a time. So please do not take my word for it. But right now, I get to introduce to you a great guy who's recently started coming to this church. His name is Alan. He's going to tell his story. But if you want to know the real reason why we're asking you to join with us in this giving series, this is why.
1: For me, it started probably November 2015. The wife was diagnosed with cancer, but being as strong as she was, it didn't phase her at all. She said, we'll deal with that issue. Said it was operable originally, but that changed within a week. We were told it was terminal. She was only given months rather than years, but Pauline's faith was so strong. Sorry. It was hard, obviously, when Pauline was diagnosed with bowel cancer. She'd suffered maybe two, three years with anemia, didn't take any notice of it, always feeling tired. But this particular week, she was absolutely drained. So I said to her, come on, we've got to get this sorted. He said it was operable. That thought, oh, that was great. Little bit of inconvenience, little operation. But within a week, the results came back. We walked into the specialist office. The Macmillan folders followed us behind, which was slightly daunting. And because you, when they walk in, you know there's something serious. So doctor said, unfortunately, the tumor had spread to several other organs. It wasn't operable. She had terminal cancer. I was speechless. What do you say? I'm not the one who's ill. Pauline was ill, but I was feeling so drained because to lose so many things in a short period, lost my dad, Pauline. And then on top, I lost the son to prison. He's serving a 15 year prison sentence for attempted murder on a shopkeeper. That technically, was the last straw. I just couldn't handle it. Depression sank in in a big way. It got to the stage even. Why, why do I wanna live? I even, and I am ashamed to say it, thought of suicide. Even set it up into motion it was gonna happen on a particular day, a particular way. But thought came in the back of my mind from basically what Pauline asked me before she passed. You make sure that you look after the Kimberly and the grandkids. I forgot all about the daughter. Forgot that she'd lost the mum. Lost a granddad, lost a brother. (laughs) How do you tell three children? (laughs) None's (laughs) in heaven. Decided to put the house up for sale. Too many memories, good and bad. So. One of those things that you have to do, sorting through Pauline's belongings. And I came across a, a Bible reading book that she read regularly. But inside, as a bookmark, was a little card with footprints in the sand. How relevant that was. Basically, I was blaming God for not being there. I just know the poem goes on. When those singers' of footprints were in the sand, that was God carrying me. Strange things, you say, believe it or not, the brother in law, Nick, who was constantly in touch with us. Who'd been up regularly every week without fail to see Pauline while she was ill, rang me up and asked me any chance he could do us a favour. I said yeah no issues let me know what it is, I'll sort it. So the first time I actually walked through church doors I was amazed. While I was here it was strange, people I didn't even know spoke to me as though they'd known me for years. How are you doing? what you're up to? Would you like a cup of tea something to eat? I've never come across this in all the churches I've been to. yeah I can honestly say I've not made any friends at church. It may sound strange but it's true. I've made even better. I've made family members. The church as a whole now has become my family. I say I didn't expect it, didn't want it, but I'm glad I've got it. So if it wasn't for Nick and that phone call, I don't know where I'd be. When you lose everything in such a short space of time, it's hard to believe that anything will be good ever again. And if Nick hadn't done everything had done to build God's house, there wouldn't have been a place for me to come, find hope, find a community, and even more, find a family. I'll never be able to replace the loss of Pauline or cover up the pain of losing my dad and my son. But what I can do is help build God's house and make room for other people who have experienced similar things to find a sense of home, a peace like I have, This is why I give. This is why I serve. But more, this is why I build.
0: You know, this is why we do what we do because at Liverpool One Church, we will be about everyone. We will be the doors that are wide open for people who would write themselves off because of where life has just found them. And I want that to be the very heartbeat and the essence of who we are and all that we do. So the bottom line is, when you choose to pray and join with us for our This Is Why giving series, it's because we know, because we're in faith, we have great confidence that as we continue to do what we do, we can do more together and make sure that we continue to be about everyone you know, the message of this church is simply this. If you want a relationship with God, we want you to know that God loves you back. And in fact, he loved you first, even when you gave no consideration to God. That is the good God that we serve. And I'm so grateful that there are people like Nick Bailey, who was just there in the midst of an absolute tragedy, to just make sure that he's reaching out, looking after someone else, even in such a heartbreaking moment. Why? Because he's about everyone. And we as a church want to be about everyone. So right now we're going to pray, but that's what we're asking you for this week. Can we just pray and say to God in this series, what is it that you want me to do? Church, let's stand. Let's pray.